Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'd start off by sharing about someone who, um, well, who actually was quite inspiring to me actually a number of years ago. A guy called John Lang. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of John Lang. John Lang was born in uh, 1879, Carlisle, Christian, uh, became a Christian um, at an early age, then took over his father's construction business, little small little construction business in Carlisle. And John Lang grew over the course of his career in the 20th century, grew this construction business to be one of the biggest construction companies in the UK. Okay, so it was, it was named Lang. I think you may have seen Lang O'Rourke. You might see those that, that, that around. That's, that's where that originated from. This was his company. One of the biggest construction companies in the UK. He, he built the M1 motorway, his company. So the M1, when that was built, that was, that was his company. He rebuilt Coventry Cathedral after the, the Second World War. He built, built various power stations. He also built the Severn Road Bridge as well. So you know, huge construction projects that his company, uh, his company embarked on. Obviously, you know, he was the owner of the company. He made a huge amount of, of money uh, through his company. Now, early in his career, he decided that he was going to allot himself a certain amount of money to live on. And then he was going to give the rest of his money away to Christian work. And he did that. He continued to do that right throughout his career and basically gave the rest of his money away to loads of stuff. He gave it to student mission. He gave it to UCCF. He gave loads of money to the Bible Society, to churches, to rebuilding churches, to planting churches, to restoring churches, to, to pastors, to missionaries. You name it, he probably funded it in the 20th century. It had a massive effect. So much so that even though he made millions in his career, by the time he died in 1978, he had only £371 left in his bank account. Now, okay, that's a fair amount back in 1978, but not very much if you think of the amount of money that he made in his life. Why? Because he gave it all away. Not only did he do that, but he actually set up a bunch of trust funds so that after he died, they could continue giving all his money away. And to date, his trust fund has given 500 million pounds to Christian work, Christian mission across this country and across this world. A fantastic example of generosity. I think you'll agree. Yes? Yes. Great example of generosity, which is what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about generosity this morning. I want, I want to look this morning at the generosity in particular of the early church in Jerusalem. Now, this is a church that, you know, basically is there, it's, it's, it's weeks or months after Jesus has gone back to heaven, okay? So it is the early, 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 early church, okay? These are new believers. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is about people in this church giving their money um, to basically look after the poor and the needy who are among them, which is a good thing. I think we'll all agree. We'll, we'll read that in a bit. But then, as we see in the story, there's a pretty major twist in this story that I'm about to read. Now, so much so that if you've never read this passage before, you'll be reading like, oh yeah, good, giving to poor people, giving to poor, giving to poor, great. And then, boom, something happens. You're like, oh my goodness, I did not see that happening. Okay? They'll be like a film. You ever watch a film? And then, like, you know, like halfway through, the main character dies, and you're like, oh my, 
Oh, okay. I did not see that happen. I don't know how the rest of this film is going to go, but that's what happened. That's kind of what happens in this passage. Let's read the passage. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to chapter 5, verse 11. And I will read. It'll appear on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bibles as well. So verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the seals and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So far, so good. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With this wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Weren't expecting that. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, as Hillary mentioned earlier, next week is Give Big. So the next two weeks are Give Big. And uh, what we normally do at CCM is the, is the Sunday before Give Big, we preach on giving and what we're giving to. And when I sat down this week and looked at the preach rota, and Tom has put together this sermon series on Acts, and I looked at the passage that I'd been given to preach on about Give Big, and I'm like, it's Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead. I'm like, where am I supposed to go with this? Is this a like give to give big or you're going to drop dead? I'm not really sure I can really preach that. I I don't think that's what Tom is after. But at first reading, I was like, oh gosh, okay. You'll be pleased to know that that is not the main point of this sermon. (laughs) That is not any of the points in this sermon, okay? That is not the way we encourage people to give here. But I don't know if you noticed in this passage, there's a massive contrast between the first part of the passage in chapter 4 and the second part in chapter 5. Now, on the surface, they both seem the same. They're both about believers selling their fields and putting the money they get at the apostles' feet so they can give the money to the needy. Sounds good. But the way each passage ends could be more different. Barnabas gets called son of encouragement. And is is kind of almost mentioned as an example for us to follow. On the other hand, you have Ananias and Sapphira. They end up dead. I mean, complete opposite result. So what's the difference here? 
How does Barnabas become an example we should follow and Ananias and Sapphira drop dead? I mean, what's going on here? What's the difference? Well, I think the difference here is who's at work behind the scenes in each of these two events. That's the difference. Now, uh, a number of months ago, Max came to me one day and he said to me, Daddy, what's your name? And I said, well, I'm Daddy to you. He says, what's that? I said, it's a nose. And then he says to me, what's in here? I said, there's nothing in there. He says, ha, Daddy knows nothing. <laughs> I was like, oh, Max, you're so funny. Now, my immediate first thought was, I mean, he thought he was hilarious. But my immediate first thought was, where did that come from? <laughs> Who taught you that? Who's behind the scenes here? And it didn't take me long to work it out. I just looked over his shoulder, and there was my brother-in-law in the corner of the room, like laughing his head off. <laughs> That's so funny. And he's told it to many, many people since. But there was clearly someone behind the scenes in Max's actions. It wasn't him acting on himself. There was someone behind the scenes. And the same is true for this passage. There's someone behind the scenes in what is going on here. And certainly in the first part of this passage, in chapter 4, we see that God is clearly behind the scenes of what is happening. The first part of this passage, we see God clearly at work behind the scenes. Now, more specifically, if you look at the passage, verse 33, it's, it's God's grace which is at work behind the scenes. Verse 34 and th- 33 and 34 says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. And I think what God's grace being at work here means is that people just, they know what God's done for them. Now, there's knowing something and there's knowing something. You know what I mean? You can know something in your head. Yeah, God, you know, Jesus died on the cross for me. Great. But then there's knowing it. There's something of just like, wow, that's what he done for me. That's what he has, he has got for me. That's the future he has for me. There's, there's knowing God's grace and there's knowing it. And it seems like the Holy Spirit has just powerfully hit these people in their hearts with, with God's grace and how amazing it is. And what's really interesting here about this passage is the reason there's no needy person among these people is not because of some miraculous provision from God. It's not because God has like rained down manna on them like in the Old Testament. And that's the reason why there's no needy person. It's not even because like God has like done a miracle and turned, you know, five loaves and two, two fish into like a multitude of food. No, that's not the reason. No, there's, there's no needy person among them because God's grace was so powerfully at work in the believers that they themselves became the miraculous provision. It wasn't some, some thunderbolt from heaven. It was no, the believers themselves. Basically, the Holy Spirit had worked in their heart and be like, wow, look, this is what God has done. They're like, whoa, this is brilliant. This is amazing. Okay, let's share. Let's sell our things. Let's give to those who are in need. God's grace was so powerfully at work at them that sharing everything they had and and selling property to meet the needs of the poor became the normal thing for them to do. And we see verse 32 says, as a result, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? They were open-handed with their possessions it wasn't, I'm not, this is mine, this is mine, but it's, it, let's share, let's share what we have with each other. It was lovely, beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit at work. I took uh, my two daughters, Grace and Zoe, to the park yesterday. Uh, Max was there too, but I'm going to tell you about Grace and Zoe. So Grace is three, Zoe's one. Uh, we brought this yellow scooter, it's Grace's. 
Grace is playing with the scooter. Zoe walks up to the scooter. You know how this goes. She grabs hold of the scooter. Grace walks over, says, that's mine. And Zoe, well, Zoe can't speak yet. So she just goes, ah, I think what she's meaning is that's mine. But she can't say that yet. So, ah, and then Grace goes, that's mine. Ah, that's mine. And basically it's fighting over this yellow scooter. And we spent a long time watching these two little people fighting over this scooter. And that happens a lot. It does happen a lot. And you know, sometimes, sometimes... Sometimes they don't fight. Sometimes they actually share. And you know when that happens? Elizabeth will call me in. She'll go, Andy, come see this. I'm like, what? What is it? Look at them. They're sharing. And I'm like, whoa. What's going on? Like, have they, have they had too much sleep, do you think? Or is this the Holy Spirit or something? What is, what's wrong? Are they ill? I think they're sharing. Wow, this is amazing. What happens when they share is we take notice. We're like, wow. And you know, that's kind of what happens here in Jerusalem as a result of what the believers are doing and sharing their possessions. When the believers shared their possessions to help the needy, outsiders, people who weren't Christians, they sat up and they took notice, like, what's going on here? Now, why did they take notice? Well, because the church in Acts 4 was being so different from the rest of society back then. That's why they were taking notice. Not just because they were sharing, but because one of the things they were doing is they were selling land. They were selling property. Okay? Now, that wasn't something you really did back in Israel. Okay? That was only ever a last resort. You see, Israel back then was obsessed with land. Okay? And it was the promised land after all. Therefore, buying land and keeping it and not selling it was very, very important. We, even, we read about Naboth in the Old Testament. You know, he was willing to die rather than sin against God by selling some of the family property. Okay, so, so that was the attitude of their society. Buy land, hold on to it, and don't sell it. Yet here we have the believers doing the complete opposite. And from time to time, they're not all doing it, but from time to time, selling their land and houses to help the poor. And people were like, why would you do that? Why are you doing this? Now, when word got out that this is what was happening in this community, the result was that people began to take the Christian gospel very seriously indeed. Why? Because they knew this wasn't just words. Because money talks, right? Money talks. Something was happening here, something real. And people were taking notice of it. See, when God's working behind the scenes in a powerful way, stuff happens. And that is what's going on here. Now, another reason non-Christians and outsiders back then when this was happening began sitting up and taking notice was because most people in that society, they knew what the scriptures prophesied about the Messiah. They knew that the scriptures prophesied that the, when the Messiah came, he would, and this is from Psalm 72, when the Messiah came, he would defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy, and he would deliver the needy who cry out and save them from death. Okay? They knew that when the Messiah came, they would expect to see those things. The needy defended, delivered, and saved from death. So when they hear that in this new church, there are no needy persons okay not some but no needy persons why because the rich are sharing with the poor because landowners are sharing with laborers and masters are sharing with slaves you can see why it made them think has the messiah come 
Have we missed something here? Was Jesus actually the Messiah after all? And as a result, many of them came to believe that he was. Why? Because they saw a countercultural, sacrificially loving community, and they'd never seen anything like that before. That's why they came to the Messiah. That's why they became Christians. That's why they got saved. And that's what happens when God's grace is powerfully at work behind the scenes. Amen? Yeah, it's good. So God's at work behind the scenes. There's someone else at work behind the scenes, okay? Really easy to remember my two points today. Point one is God. Point two is Satan, all right? Or you can, you can sub in devil if you want. That's fine. Okay. So God's at work. That's point one. Point two, Satan is also at work. He is, he is working behind the scenes. He's wheedled his way in and is working behind the scenes as well. And we see that in, in Peter. Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can see how Satan is working. Which is why in verse 3 of chapter 5, he asks Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? And, land. and the word here, filled, it actually means filled to the brim. You know, that, that's what he's referring to, has filled to the brim. Rim for nothing else. Okay? So this is a strong question Peter's asked. And he's discerned that this is what's going on through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll be totally honest with you. When I read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and maybe you're with me on this, I always feel a little bit uncomfortable. I'm a little bit like, God, are you slightly overreacting here? I mean, like, I mean, two people lie about how much money they made from selling a piece of property. Yes, okay, that's bad, but like instant death? Really? I mean, if lying is that bad, like, why aren't more Christians dropping like flies? I mean... If lying's that bad, how are you guys all here? You know, like, let's be honest. How am I still here? You know, I mean, it's, it's, what's going on here? But as is usually the case with the Bible, we need to look beneath the surface. Because this situation isn't just about money. Like, they were free to give as much as they wanted to give. They didn't have to give all the, all the money from the, the proceeds from, from what they sold. It's not even specifically about lying either. See, I think what this is about, this is about Satan infiltrating the church by means of hypocrisy in those who claim to follow Jesus. And this is a very serious thing indeed. See, we need to remember that not just then, but now, there is a spiritual battle going on. And, and maybe we don't talk about this enough, maybe we should talk about this more. But the reality is that the church is God's representation in the world. And Satan is always looking for ways to undermine the church and weaken it. Now, if you look at just at Acts chapter 3 to Acts chapter 8, you see five tools that Satan uses, pretty obviously, to weaken and undermine the church. He uses the tool of persecution. He uses the tool of division, the tool of distraction, the tool of scattering, and the tool of hypocrisy to undermine the church. Now, some of them we experience today, some of them we don't really experience I think we don't really experience persecution here um, in this country compared to many other countries. Um, we do experience Satan using division to weaken churches. Absolutely, we experience that. We do experience Satan using distraction to weaken churches. You know, just distracting believers to just do other things, and just drift off. Could be work, could be pleasure, could be whatever. You just get distracted by life. Satan will use that to weaken churches. We, ha- we don't really see in this country Satan using scattering to weaken churches. That's happening in Ukraine right now. 
You know, Satan has scattered churches to the four winds. He's trying to weaken them. But we do, I think, we do see Satan use hypocrisy to try and weaken the church. So, definition of hypocrisy. The practice of claiming to have higher standards or more noble beliefs than is the case. Basically, hypocrisy is when your words and your actions don't match up. We all get that, don't we? So, you know, it's not just talking the talk, it's walking the walk. Um, And hypocrisy is when we don't do that. It's preaching one thing and acting in an entirely different way. Phil Moore, um, the pastor from London, says in his commentary on Acts, he says this, really helpful. He says, it should come as no surprise then, really, that unbelievers analyze the lives of the Christians around them to decide if their gospel is true. This was one of the reasons why the early church grew so rapidly. And it may be a reason why the Western church is declining just as rapidly too. That's what it means to be a Christian witness. Someone whose walk, not just talk, convinces the jury of the world that Jesus Christ has truly risen and is Lord. And that's why hypocrisy within the church is so damaging. When the outside outside world sees hypocrisy in the church, and they don't necessarily call it out, they don't necessarily say, you're being a hypocrite, don't do that. But when they do see it, it undermines the whole message of Christianity, which is why what Ananias and Sapphira did was taken so seriously. It was taken so seriously. Hypocrisy really can be damaging to the church, and it can be a huge barrier to people considering and accepting the gospel. Now, it's worth saying the opposite is also true. When our words do match our actions, that's a very powerful witness. Very powerful witness. I heard a story recently about a guy um, who worked in London as as an investor for a a large American company. Very good job, high-powered, big salary. You know, and he he was a gifted guy. He was climbing the ladder. But he was a Christian, and and he shared his faith amongst his colleagues. He was quite open about that, um, often did that. uh, But he was sharing that his boss was always very cold towards him when he ever mentioned anything about his faith. Really didn't want anything to do with it. And then one day, uh, this, this guy offered his resignation. He tendered his resignation at work and said, look, I'm, I'm resigning because I'm going to go and work, going to go work for the church. Um, and his boss didn't want to lose him. His boss offered him more money to stay. I said, no, I'm still going. Offered him more money to stay. No, I'm still going. Offered him more money to stay. No, I'm still going. And uh, he says, oh, I, never remember, I never forget what my boss said to me at that moment, who'd been really cold towards everything to do with faith up to that moment. He said, look, I've never taken you seriously when you've talked about religion until today. Until today. Because your actions have been backed up by what you say. Or vice versa, what you say has been backed up by your actions. See, when our words match our actions, that is a powerful witness. You know, when our words match up to the way that we, we treat people, not just on a Sunday, but every day of the week, that's a powerful witness. You know, oh, why? They don't gossip. That's, why do they not gossip? That's a witness there. You know, when our words match up to how we act when things don't go our way, again, that's a powerful witness. People notice that stuff. Our family, our friends, our work colleagues. You know, oh, they didn't lose it. <laughs> There's patience there. How do they keep that? It's a powerful witness. You know, when our words match up to our, I mean, our drinking habits, <laughs> you know, that's a powerful witness. Oh, no, I won't have another one, please. You know, that, that's what people see that. 
When our words match up to our attitude, the money and possessions and how we use that and how we treat that, that's a powerful witness. People notice that stuff. And you know, at first glance, these two passages, uh, I mean, they look like they're about money. And I'm supposed to talk about money because it's like a give big preach. But the reality is they actually aren't primarily about money. They're about who's working in your heart. But the weird thing is that the best indicator to figure out the state of your heart is money and what you do with it and your attitude towards it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why we often talk about money here at CCM. That's why we have give big special offerings. Not just because the money we give helps fund good stuff. It does. We heard from Hillary, the good stuff it's funding. But it's because it helps to show where our hearts are. And, and it's an opportunity to reposition and redirect our hearts from ourselves back to God. You know, uh, the believers we read about in this passage uh, They weren't just selling their possessions and giving to the poor among them. They were actually doing something a bit more radical than that, actually. They were giving their possessions to their leaders and trusting them to allocate them as they saw fit. So it wasn't just, I want to give to this, I'm going to give to this. They actually surrendered not just their money, but also their claim on how it should be used. Interesting. Something you can easily miss. Now, I am not here saying you should never ask questions of your church leaders about how the money is being asked. You know, there's obviously, you know, abuses in the past have happened. But there is something powerful when believers submit to those who are in church leadership and say, look, I offer this money to be used, not according to my agenda, but according to where the greatest need is. And I think for us, when we we think about this give big that is coming up, like as leaders at the church here, we've identified these four areas that we believe this is where there's, there's a need here. And the first one Hillary mentioned is the Broadcast Network, which is a brilliant uh, online platform of resources for church planters, church leaders, anybody, anything to do with church. You can, you can check it out yourself. It's online. Just type in the Broadcast Network into Google and you'll find it. There's tons of stuff on there. Go check it out. Now, this is stuff that is used by people not just in the UK but across the world. I mean, we have resources on there that's in Russian, in Ukrainian, in various different languages that helps church leaders across the world to learn how to preach, to figure out how to plant, to figure out how to solve problems, issues like that. It's a brilliant resource and we want to use some of this money to fund that. We also want to use some of this money... To, to help serve churches in Manchester. Now, one of the things that's happened over the last few years, Colin, who used to lead CCM, has been asked by many church leaders across our city to basically to meet up with them and give them advice, basically. They'll have problems, they'll have issues. They're like, look, Colin, can we talk to you? Can we just ask you what to do? And Colin's been giving some really good advice and helping a lot of church leaders in various things like you know, church planting, problem solving, issues, resolution, that kind of stuff. And we want to kind of encourage and help and fund Colin to keep doing that, to keep blessing other churches. We're probably not going to see a lot of that benefit ourselves here in the church, but it will bless the church across this city. Not even, it's not our denominations or any of that, but it's, it's various churches right across the city. The third thing we want to fund is the Northern Gospel Powerhouse, which is an initiative we're doing jointly with City Church in the center of Manchester. We want to see churches planted across our city. And the goal, and this is a pretty audacious goal, um, but it, the goal is to see 30 new church plants um, 
Either we partner with someone to plant them or we pioneer that or we do it. But 30 new church plants by 2030, okay? That, that's the goal with the Northern Gospel Powerhouse. And we want to be able to fund some of that as well. And the final thing is we want to fund the training for our three interns who are going to start in September because we want them to have a great experience when they do the year team. We want to have great discipleship and equipping for that. So we want to fund that. So those are the four things we've identified that would be really good for us to be able to fund through our Give Big. So I just want to encourage you, if you can, to give, to be, to, to be generous when it's Give Big next Sunday, the 14th and the 21st. And obviously, as Hillary said, you can give online as, as well.